You found the world's most dangerous podcast, where an MMA heavyweight world champion fighter mixes things up with a hot shot entrepreneur, the only successful substitute for brains, ankle locks. Meet your co-hosts, serial entrepreneur, Dez W. Woodruff, and UFC Hall of Famer and the world's most dangerous man, Ken Shamrock. Hey, hey, freak dogs. Welcome to the world's most dangerous podcast. My name's Dez W. Woodruff, and I'm here with my co-host, Ken Shamrock, a UFC Hall of Famer, a four-time heavyweight world champion. How you doing, Ken? I am doing well, and yourself, brother? Oh, man, I'm here in the Midwest, and this crazy weather we're getting has been insane. We keep getting snowed on. <laughs> well, here in Reno, Nevada, where there's all kinds of snow everywhere, we're getting sun and great weather. <laughs> so when you say sun and great weather, what type of temperatures are you seeing in Reno nowadays? Well, right now we're probably hitting in the mid-60s, low 70s. Will you guys see any more weather, any more snow Anytime this season? Well, hey, listen, in Reno, man, like I said, you could, <laughs> who knows? The weather could change in a hot second. So uh, we get it, you know, all the time. You could be in the middle of summer and one night it'll snow. So, yeah, it's, 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 never, it's never safe here. <laughs> well, it's a beautiful location. I know that. But we have quite the podcast here. We're coming out early this week because we have some things that we want to talk about. Yeah, you know, um, it's, it's exciting that, you know, with so much going on this week, I know I, I visited WrestleMania. I was down there for the WrestleCon and uh, Dave Mooch and, and, uh, and his crew. Uh, we actually had a, a booth down there and I got to, you know, talk with uh, Goldberg and Bret Hart and even Billy Gunn and, and oh, just so many guys down there. And I, I can't even go on. It's just a list of guys that were there for the, the meet and greet. Great group of people. Had a great time leading up to WrestleMania. The anticipation, you know, for Ronda Rousey to, you know, jump into that ring and find out, you know, how she was going to perform. And, and I, I thought all the way leading up to that, even in the, um, in the meet and greet, it was exciting to be around WrestleMania. So you were there in New Orleans and pretty good sized group there. Yeah, it was huge. I mean, it was a great turnout. Uh, it even got so hot at times, man. It was screaming for them to open the doors up because it was, it was actually cool outside. But when there was so many people inside this venue, I mean, it was shoulder to shoulder and, and uh, it was just getting stuffy and hard to breathe. <laughs> but finally we got it worked out, got some doors open, got the air turned on and it was a great time. So it was enjoyable. Oh, like I said, it was a, one of those times where it was a lot of anticipation for the event. Well, I have some questions for you. And uh, I know that CNN's coming out with a story on what I'm going to ask you about. But I think our fans that follow us here at you know, World's Most Dangerous Podcast should get the inside scoop before CNN publishes their write-up. But I want to talk with you specifically about the idea of Ronda Rousey jumping from MMA and going to wrestling. What are your thoughts on that? I thought it was great. Uh, I thought that on her loss and then the, the follow-up loss, I thought that mentally she just wasn't there. And not too many people get this opportunity. But even though she had been soundly beaten, you know, and it looked like she was mentally destroyed, she was able to 
come off of that, you know, balance yourself out again and go and do something different. And wrestling would be that thing different. And then to be able to follow it up on the biggest wrestling stage in the world, which is the WWE at the biggest event of the year and walk in the ring in front of all those people and put on a tremendous performance. I mean, that right there is a gamer. I, I, my hat's off to her. I'm happy for her that she was able to turn this bad situation that she encountered at the end of her career into something positive. So you have, I mean, you, you bridged that gap. I mean, you were MMA, you jumped into pro wrestling, you went back into MMA and a lot of people take their hats off to you for being the one to blaze that trail and making that happen. Help me understand at what, let me ask you this. What percentage of MMA fighters could potentially become pro wrestlers? Uh, not too many. There's more to it than, than what people think. And, and there's a lot, of, a lot of them have tried, you know, and they just haven't been able to reach that, that level of professionalism. And so it's not something I know a lot of people look at it and go, man, it's, those guys should go and do, do pro wrestling. And it's, it, it's just not that easy. It's really hard to do or because look at how many people have tried to do it. I mean, you look at Dan Seven tried, you know, I mean, he, he succeeded a little bit, but not at the level that he wanted to go. And it's, it's not easy to do. And he even had some wrestling experience in the background. And there's a lot of other people who have gone from MMA into pro wrestling or, or pro wrestling into MMA. And there's so many of them failed. It's not easy. Can't do it. Tito Ortiz tried it. He couldn't do it. It's just, like I said, I could go on in names. I just don't want to, I don't want to keep pulling names out, but yeah. it's not easy to do. It's a very, very difficult thing to do. And to see Ronda Rousey be able to step in there and being able to pull this off on the biggest stage in wrestling you got to give her props. Hats off to her. Now, the other thing is you got to look at is, is hey, they were smart. WWE was smart. Mm -hmm. They realized that this girl was going to be, have to perform on the biggest stage. And they surrounded her with Stephanie McMahon, Triple H, and Kurt Angle <laughs> in a tag team match so that she didn't have to be in the ring like she was on an island by herself. I, I, I take my hat off to them, too, being able to protect her, being able to give her the opportunity to be able to, to relax and be able to learn along the way and not just throw it all on top of her at one time. So cats off to them, too, being able to put something together to be able to protect their talent, being able to give her time to groom and get better. God bless them and awesome job. Mm -hmm. So what does it take – for an MMA fighter, what does it take? What does it take to be able to go in? And well, let me ask you this. You tell me in your own words, why would an MMA fighter want to go to pro wrestling? One, that's one question. But the next question is, what does it take to be able to do it successfully? Well, a lot of MMA guys don't have the ability to understand pro wrestling. They think it's silly. And these are the other half of them, the ones that don't like pro wrestling. They just think that it's silly. And, you know, a kid's game. They, you know, why do grownups go in there and and flip their hair around and throw on costumes and wear masks and <laughs> pretend to be somebody that they're not. I mean, this is the other side of it, right? So you get it, right? I mean, I, I, I've all, my whole life, I've always tried to look on the other side of it to try to understand why they think the way they think. So mm -hmm. I get it. I understand it. But at the same time, the other side of it is how many people love Comic-Con and comic characters and, you know, look how big uh, these, this Comic-Con is. Mm -hmm. I mean, look at these, all these new shows coming out. They're all comic characters. 
there's a large part of the world that love the fantasy. And so that's why pro wrestling is so popular is because people like to live outside the world. They want to live in the fantasy world. They want things to go the way they want them to go. The good versus the evil. The good always wins, you know. In the end, they always win. And so that's kind of the world that pro wrestling is. There's these, these ups and the downs and the swings and the turns and the characters and, the, and all these super type heroes. And so this is the world that the, it's created in pro wrestling for people to get away from the real world. And so I, I understand both sides of it, but I do lean more towards in favor of it. I, I think the reason why a lot of fighters or anybody for that matter that can't be that successful in pro wrestling is because they can't grasp the concept of becoming another character or becoming something uh, different than what they've probably done their whole life. They just don't have that versatility to do that. Like an actor can be a hundred different characters and literally put himself in that character and become that person for that role. There's not too many people that are able to do that. Well, that's what wrestling is. Wrestling is really about being a character throwing yourself into the role, depending on what the storyline is telling you to do and how you're supposed to act in those storylines. That's what you do, and that's how you become successful. Plus, on top of it, you have to be a tremendous athlete. You have to be able to do all those things, that, whether it's a bump or whether it's a flip or an arm drag or a submission, whatever it is. You have to be talented enough to be able to do all of that and be a stuntman and an actor on top of it. So there's a lot of this stuff mixed into it. And that's why it's so difficult for people to cross over into pro wrestling. I got you. Then why, why would an MMA fighter with a big name want to go to pro wrestling? Well, I went to pro wrestling because I, one, I just felt like at that point in time, I had ran pretty much my destiny where I was at at the time. That it just was, there was nowhere else for me to go. And I needed another direction at that time. And I felt like wrestling gave me a great opportunity to be able to work on my character the person that I was in the ring as a fighter, I was able to take that same character and put him in the right wrestling ring, pro wrestling ring and develop my character along the way and work on my submissions. Uh, I was able to almost like in training where I would just go through the steps and work on my submissions. I was able to do that in the pro wrestling ring. And so really it kept me in tune for when I wanted to go back into fighting, I was still practicing and still doing my submissions in the entertainment industry and, it's, and, 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 and perfecting them. So it really worked out well for me. A lot of fighters would probably uh, want to go into it. Is one, I think that they get to a certain point, like Ronda Rousey. I think that she ran into a wall and she just couldn't figure out how to bring back that same person that she used to be, that dominant character in fighting because she had just been beaten soundly and she, she had been dominating everybody for a long time and all of a sudden she got dominated. And all the press and all the fans and everybody was screaming at her, come on, man, go back, get her. And she came back and she still got dominated. And I think it was very hard for her to figure out who she was. So she stepped away from fighting for a while. And I think because of that situation, there's no way I think she could have went back and been that same person. So she needed a different outlet. She needed to go somewhere else and become something else. And, and I think pro wrestling gave her an avenue to become a different person and being able to be successful because she's an athlete. She's a tremendous athlete. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that uh, the only thing was whether or not she was going to be able to go in there and be able to deal with all, all the other things that comes with pro wrestling. And I thought up to this point, I think she, she's on her way as long as, uh, you know, she 
you know, keeps her head about her and, and keeps an even keel and realizes that, you know, it, it takes a, a village to be successful in pro wrestling. There's a lot of people involved to help you be successful. And as long as she keeps all that in mind, I think she's going to be great. Hmm. A couple of questions. I'm going to keep rapid firing questions at you. This is intriguing. I'm sure the fans have many of the same questions that I have here. Who's more fortunate, uh, the pro MMA fighter going to pro wrestling or the pro wrestler going to MMA? Well, that's tricky. I would have to say pro wrestling is there's just more to it. Okay. But also too, at the same time, if you've never been a fighter or never been an athlete, then it would be tricky. But if you're a person like Kurt Angle or a person like Brock Lesnar or Steve Blackman, mm-hmm. and you wanted to make that transfer over into MMA, then I think that you could do that pretty easily. Not easily, obviously, it's a tough bet, but I'm saying as far as anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, but for them to go from MMA, if they were doing MMA and doing all that stuff and then coming into pro wrestling, uh, it could be a little bit harder for them, right? Because they've never done it before. So. That's my thing is I think it just depends on the certain person that's doing it, depending on what their background was before they became a pro wrestler and what their background was before they became an MMA fighter and what they could actually do when they make that transfer. Because we've seen guys make that, that, that change and it didn't go so well. A lot of them, it didn't go so well both ways. Mm-hmm. So it does depend on the person and the character and what their background was before they became who they were. What do you consider not going so well? Well, I, I, I think when you, when you talk about not going so well is when you, when you basically go out there and no one's, no one's chanting, no one's caring, nobody cares, you know, that you're there. That's not going well. <laughs> I don't care how good it is or gotcha. how good you think you're, you're doing, but when people don't care, it's over. Mm-hmm. And would it be better in your opinion, and I don't even know if there's an answer to this, but would it be better if somebody was going to do both? Would it be better to start off MMA and then go into pro or pro wrestling and then into MMA? You know, that's one of those answers that is, you just can't, you don't know. I think it depends on each, each, each character, each person that's doing it. It depends on their talent and what they're capable of doing. You know, me and myself, I was very fortunate to be able to, you know, really handle both. So, but again, like I said, it just, it, it depends on who that person is and whether or not able to handle or be able to juggle both. And, uh, you know, I know I was able to, and, it, and I was very fortunate, but it's not easy. I'm going to put a, I'm going to start going down the path here a little bit on the business side of things. Ken, what's fascinating to me, we've been working together over three years now as business partners. And what's interesting to me is you've been out of the fight game for some time. We came on, we did a couple of fights. And, uh, but the thing that was just uh, it flabbergasted me. I, I, I was just very surprised to see this. And that was the power of you having two sets of fan bases, meaning, you know, a lot of times celebrities assume that they have their fan base, but you had two very distinct groups and they, you know, overlapped a little bit, but you had the pro wrestling fans and you had the MMA fans. It's just shocking. And the events we'd go to, the appearances we'd go to, when the fans would come up, they would be speaking to you as Ken Shamrock, the wrestler, or they'd be talking to you as Ken Shamrock, the UFC heavyweight champion fighter. And very seldom did the two blend. And, and the testament to that was something that I saw with my own eyes. And that was, you've been out of the picture for some time, 
we decide to do a fight, we go and do this fight on Spike TV, you and Kumbo Slice, and it busted all records. I mean, over 2 million, over 2 million viewers coming in, 2.4. And then we fought again and we with Hoist Gracie. Again, you were the only main event name, right, that, that fought on both of them. And not only did we meet those the, that same record, but we beat it at 2.9 million. And, and people would ask me, Des, how in the world was Ken able to bring in those big numbers, him so late in the game? Then my answer was very simple. One, Ken Shamrock, you have a huge name out there, but that huge name come by both MMA and pro wrestling. So you dipped into both groups. And when you go to Walmart and you still see action figures of Ken Shamrock sitting on the shelves, I mean, that is evident. WrestleMania, they talked about you during WrestleMania. And because of you going from MMA over to pro wrestling and Ronda Rousey, it's, it's very interesting to see all that. But the business side is simply this. I think anybody, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but anybody that's an MMA fighter that feels like that they might have reached their they're plateaued and they don't see much more. I mean, they're at a glass ceiling wherever they happen to be at that moment that, hey, Maybe it might make sense to start knocking on some doors over at the pro wrestling thing. But what I find right now, and, you, and I could be wrong, Ken, and I'll let you correct me if I am, but it seems like the UFC, and this is a big statement I'm getting ready to make, okay? It seems like the UFC has stripped the fighters of their identities um, where they've they're like cookie cutters coming through and to me it seems like it would make it that much harder for somebody to go from that into pro wrestling without any sort of character at all that they've been able to build like you've been able to build i'll let you speak yeah it is and and, and it can be but like i said I, I i always believe it's in the character it's in the person there's a lot of people that are capable of being able to do multitasking many different things and they have the ability and the talent to do it. So it's really tough to really look at someone without seeing what their capabilities are because, you know, you look at guys like Jordan, you know, he goes from basketball to playing baseball or pro baseball and, uh, you know, Bo Jackson. I mean, there's, yeah. there's a lot of guys that just have the ability to be able to multitask because it comes natural to them. And I was one of those guys where I was just fortunate to be able to do that. It just came natural to me. So I was, like I said, and there, and there are other ones out there that are, are capable of doing that. So I like the idea of what Ronda is doing. I like how they protected her with the tag team. I like how they're grooming her. The only thing that I would, and I hope that this gets passed on to her because I saw a, a statement that she made, and I think she needs to be very careful about and I understand what she's trying to say, but when she makes the statement of saying, hey, I'm very fortunate that I lost my fight because it led me to WWE, that right there has to be very careful when she starts talking media that she doesn't lose her identity of what made her who she is. Don't throw that away. and Don't, don't bastardize it. Being critical of, of what happened then. You know, appreciate your journey. Appreciate everything that MMA has done and where it's brought you to in the opportunity to be successful in pro wrestling. But losing is not, in my opinion, is never a good thing. I mean, I, I know I've lost. It's not, I would never use losing as a, 
a stepping stone to go anywhere. But it did happen that way for her. But that's not the reason why she's there. The reason why she's there is because of what she had done before that and all the success that she had before that, not the losing. And so when that statement came out and I saw it, I was like, man, she needs to be careful there because losing isn't what really put her there. It's, it's really what she had done before that, the dominance that she had before that, that got her that opportunity to be in pro wrestling. I saw Dana White showed up at WrestleMania to watch Ronda. That, now, that shocks me a little bit. Be, you know, he wore the uh, Ronda Rousey, Rowdy Rousey uh, T-shirt. He, says, he, he did an Instagram post saying, hey, it's been a long time since I was a kid, since I've been to one of these pro wrestling things. I'm looking forward to cheering her on. He shows up. What do you, wow, I was, I was just flabbergasted. I was shocked that he put himself out there to go watch that. I wasn't. I, I mean, Dana White is a smart guy. He, he makes good decisions in some areas. Like I said, I've always said that there's a lot of things Dana White did to help the uh, MMA world. But when he starts getting mad or angry at somebody and he starts saying things, that's when I believe that he gets himself into trouble. But other than that, man, I think that he makes good decisions. He knows, he understands the media, the market. And I thought this, wouldn't, this didn't surprise me at all because this was the biggest stage in wrestling and the biggest show of the year. And he has a connection to Ronda Rousey. And so therefore he's going to get a lot of publicity out of this. And so it does not shock me. He understands how the power of publicity, the power of TV. <laughs> and so this did not shock me at all for him to be there right up front cheering her on because he's going to get a lot of press out of this. A lot of press, but just, you got the head of UFC going and sitting in a seat in a WrestleMania. I was just, I mean, I'm, I'm ha- I was happy to see it. <laughs> it just shocked me. It just surprised me. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> because all the things that he said to a lot of these top stars when they've, when they've had issues and some of the things that he says to them, it's good to see that he will go the other direction, you know, and be able to show the support when they go and do something different. So, yeah, it was great to see that, and I think that he should do more of it. He should be able to go and do more of that outside of his industry, supporting other fighters who have been a big part of their success. It's nice to see him go out outside of what his industry is and support them. Well, speaking of Dana White, we just had UFC 225, and all the news was about Conor McGregor and his (laughs) – guys getting into getting into the arena fighters in a bus leaving and conor mcgregor and around 20 of his buddies attacked the bus with conor mcgregor on video throwing a metal dolly through one of the windows and injuring some people and he got himself into a lot of trouble he got arrested he's now out of jail he bailed out and they didn't revoke his passport saying that he can leave the country and he, he'll come back later this summer for his um, hearing. But what <laughs> crazy event. Did you see that video? Yeah, and you know, the first thing that came to my mind when I saw the video, unlike everybody else that's watching it, I looked at the video and I was shocked. I was shocked that this video went on for 30, 40 a minute and there was no security. You're talking about a talent bus inside the venue with the talent inside the bus and 20 people uncredentialed 20 people walk right into this talent but right up to the talent bus and was able to surround it throw things at it 
without one single security person stopping them for almost a minute. I was like looking at it going, where's the security? Hey, where's the police? Where, where, where's their protection? And I'm thinking from the talent, as far as being on the bus, I would be like, Hey, where's, where's our protection? How come all these guys are down here around this bus? And literally that's what I was thinking the whole time I watched this thing. And I was trying to put it in my mind going, how does that happen? How in the world does that many guys uncredentialed get down that close to a talent bus inside a venue? If I was those people on the bus, I would be ticked off that they didn't take as much concern about me as they did Connor. Because obviously the only reason why those people got down there was because of Connor's status. And I would be ticked off that we were not taken care of like Connor had been taken care of. Now you've got almost half the card. I don't know how many there was. Maybe I'm exaggerating, but there was quite a few people that sustained some, some cuts and some, some stuff from that, that dolly going through the window. And I'm thinking to myself, if I was on that bus, I would be very ticked off that I was not taken care of. Like, how in the world do you allow that many people to get around a bus that you're supposed to be responsible for? And everybody right now is all attacking Connor, which they should. But what about the people on the bus? How come we're not concerned about what happened to them and how it happened to them? What do you make of no security being there that you could see? Dude, people came to me and said, man, this was fake. It was worked. And then when, I, when they said it, I was like, oh, maybe that's why there wasn't security around. Maybe this is just a way to build up a, a fight. So, well, no, that can't be because they just broke a window on a bus. And then I thought, well, maybe when Connor threw it, maybe he wasn't trying to break the window. Maybe it just happened by accident. And then I thought to myself, well, I guess it wouldn't matter after that whether it was fake or it wasn't fake because now you have an assault charge. Now there's a bunch of people injured. So it really doesn't matter what happened before that, whether it was fake or whether it was real because now it's going to – it's, <laughs> it's, it's fake is involved now. <laughs> right, it's real now. <laughs> How do we go and tell people, no, by the way, no, it wasn't supposed to happen. It was fake. It was all a gimmick. So it really doesn't matter. <laughs> so I thought to myself, I was like, wow. You know, even when I saw Connor throw it, for a minute there, when I watched the thing and I saw it go slow motion, I was like, it didn't look to me like he was really trying to put it through the window. It just looked to me like he was just trying to throw it up there. Because in, when the window broke, I was like, first of all, like I said, I was like, hey, oh my goodness, where's, where's the security? How are these people getting around a bus like that? That's really what I was thinking. And then I thought to myself, wait a minute, how did that window break? Aren't those supposed to be like shatterproof? It's like, they don't shatter like that anymore. There's a lot of that stuff that when I watched it, it just didn't make sense to me. It's like, how can that? And even now as I'm sitting here, and as I talk about it, I just get mad. I'm like, <laughs> how, how does it go that long? And not one time did I ever see a security guy step in and go, stop. Not once. And I'm like, that just drives me nuts because I've been on that bus many times. And there's been altercations outside the bus. And it, it, was, it was a split second you had security people on. So it just – and, and here's, here's another thing that's even worse, Des. They knew this was a problem. It wasn't like this wasn't going on and they were all blindsided by it because they didn't realize it was an issue. This issue was already happening. And yet it still happened to the bus. I mean, there's common knowledge that there was a problem between Connor and this guy. And all of a sudden, 12 or 20 guys get to the bus, 
and you already know that there's an issue. Ah, it's like, I just keep thinking about it. And I'm like, man, okay, stop, stop just focusing on Connor for a minute. Stop trying to bury this guy because he's going to get buried no matter what, because this is the States involved now. There's an assault charge. So he's going to get his no matter what it's coming. Okay. But let's figure out, wow, what happened? Why did Connor McGregor, why was he able to get that close and for it to escalate to that level? When you already knew, listen, when I had issues with Tito or anybody else, they would, I would never have an opportunity to get that close to Tito. Never. Because there was always people in the way because they knew there was an issue. They knew if it got too close, there would be an altercation. So here's my, here's my other thought. They know that there's a problem. They know Conor McGregor. They know that he's gonna, he's gonna, if he gets close enough, there'll be an altercation. How does 20 guys that he brings in from Ireland walk up to a bus and be able to do that when they already, in, they already know ahead of time there's a problem? Please, somebody tell me how this happened. Couple thoughts. I watched the video a few times, and then look, there's people there trying to break it up. Uh, there were just so many of the guys, and I could see they're saying that Conor McGregor is one of the biggest athletic stars today, and he comes knocking at the door. I don't know too many people wouldn't open the door for him and his buddies. So I could see that as being plausible. So they come rushing in and they storm the place. Uh, there'd be no way with 20 people, 20 guys, that it would just dwarf any sort of mini security that would be around at that time. That's not true. That is not true. There's, there's, they have a lot of, especially in that when you have a venue and there's that many people there. Okay. But it was, you have to have, it was behind the scenes. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, I've been there, Des. I know. There is going to be security that is around the bus. Mm -hmm. There has to be security there. See, I think that there was like security. That. I think that there was security. It, it was just so many people. It just didn't appear like there, there was any security. Because they said UFC well, people did get hurt in okay, there. Okay, let me, let, me, let me ask you this, okay? When you see, because I watched the video too, I watched Conor McGregor get close to the bus. I watched all the people surround the bus. I watched Conor McGregor look and try to figure out how we could get to this guy. He gets frustrated. He looks, he sees a doll. He goes over, he grabs it. He holds on to it for a while. He waits a minute and then he chucks it at the window. Nobody stopped him. Nobody. So if there was security there, they, they didn't do their job. They did not do their job. Because let's say you can't control the crowd, but you sure as heck can control a guy throwing a dolly. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of commotion in 30 seconds there. Well, listen, that's why they're paid, brother. If I'm on that bus, I'm pissed. <laughs> right. They have a, Especially if I got hurt. It looked like he was trying to throw a guard or a bike, bike rack or something, and they did stop him from throwing that. So let me get this right. They stopped the rail he was going to throw. And then, so then he puts the rail down, and then he goes back and gets the dolly, and they didn't stop him from throwing the dolly? He's fast dude. <laughs> <laughs> That makes a lot of sense, man. I got him the first time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, maybe we should get Pat Militant and his co-hosts on the conspiracy farm. We'll talk about this. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Listen, I get it, too. There's a lot of stuff going on. But listen, this is a venue. It's a professional organization. This stuff can't happen. That's just It just can't yeah, happen. Right. You're that's a business guy. You understand this more than anybody. It doesn't matter what the excuses are. It doesn't matter how many guys were there. These people are there under your protection right. and you're supposed to make sure they get to where they're supposed to go without any incident. I mean, that's the bottom line, of course, because those are assets 
every person on that, every fighter is an asset and that asset has to be protected at all costs. Absolutely. And, and you know, hey, I get the other side. Listen, I'm always that person on the other side saying, hey, I understand. I understand how this can happen. I understand all that stuff that goes on. But here's my thing. It's like this. Stop focusing on what already happened. Start focusing on how you can stop this from happening again. Like, what did we do wrong? What happened here? How did we allow this to get to that point when we knew ahead of time that this was a problem? And that yet we all along, we knew the problem was there. And yet we allowed it to escalate into something bigger than we could control. Well, he took a private jet over, apparently, drops himself off, lets himself in. <laughs> and, and, but what was interesting was the impeccable timing. So I'll give you that. The timing was just impeccable. He, he shows up right at the right time, apparently. Yeah, but see, listen, again, it is something that cannot happen. It's unacceptable. You've got people that have spent their whole career to get to this point, and they're stopped by something that should have been taken care of ahead of time. They knew the problem was there. They knew the incident was going to happen if anybody got close enough, and nobody. it, escal it kept escalating. It wasn't like it started and it just blew up right, right away. This thing escalated for a while. And all of a sudden it blew up. And then, you know, so where was the, where was the diffusion at? Where, where was the people to go, hey, this is going to be a problem, man. We need to make sure that we got what we need to keep this thing from blowing up on us. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to switch gears here a little bit, Ken. And this is something that <laughs> may cause you to, I don't know, we've had talks about this. So you, you may not um, scratch your head too much on this question. But what I'm fascinated with is that you would have to have some real, I mean, you'd have to have some real brass, right? <laughs> to go and do that. Help me understand the mentality of somebody that is a superstar, a pro athlete that's at the top of their game, and everybody around them are yes men. For him to have the mindset to be able to do whatever it is he wants to do. Well, I think one time on his hands, right? Whatever happened it, it, between a fighter and another opponent, you know, everybody looks at Connor as being the godfather, the guy that will take us to the promised land. And so when they start turning to him and the, the other guy starts disrespecting Connor, yeah, all this stuff starts escalating with his fighter and this other fighter, and then they disrespect him and his camp. And then now everybody's looking to Connor like, hey, man, we got to get this guy. We've got to get this guy because like Connor's the one they all turn to. Like, hey, what do we do next? And so he starts to feel like, okay, I, I guess I got to do something. This guy can't disrespect me in front of my, my people. And so they all start talking back, and then the words get going, and it just starts escalating from, from verbal uh, abuse to one another. And so then he jumps on a plane. And he brings 20 guys with him on his jet because he has the money to do it to show his power. He gets there and all of a sudden, you know, you're face to face with the situation. Now, everybody's looking at him. There's no way he could back down. Uh, these are all these people look up to him and he's like, he's got to do something now, right? So all of a sudden, they're screaming and yelling. They get near the bus. Everybody's running around and Connor can't really grab the guy, right? So I know what he's doing. He's looking. I can't get a hold of him. Otherwise, it would have just been another altercation, right? It would have been a whole different story. Those two guys would have went at it. They'd have broke it up and, and, and off to the news. But because he was on the bus, Connor's now scrambling around because I can see in his head as he's looking at the bus and he's walking around. He's looking for something. He's trying to figure out a way for him to be able to do something impactful enough 
that, that it would be enough for all those people to say, do you see what Connor did? Do you see what Connor did? And so he comes up with the, the, the rail all of a sudden. That's too big. He can't really lift it and throw that thing. So he, somebody grabs, he throws that down, and then he sees the dolly, and so he grabs that. And I could see it, dude. I could see it when he goes to throw this thing. It's almost like he, he has to throw it, but he doesn't want to throw it. But he doesn't have any other way out here. He's got to do something. Everybody's watching him. And away the dolly goes, right? It was almost like, uh, I got to do something. It's in my hand. And so when he goes to throw it, it's almost like he threw it, but it wasn't one of those throws where he like put all his anger and all his frustration. It was almost like that halfway thing where it's like, I got to throw it. Man, I got to do something. It's in my hand. And so when he throws it, I know for a fact in his mind, he's like, I'll just throw it. It'll hit the bus. It'll bounce off. Maybe the guy comes out and gets kicked off because I scratched his butt. But it breaks the window. <laughs> Watch Connor. I promise you. Watch Connor McGregor when the window breaks. It was almost like he was shocked. Like, who? <laughs> He's like, <laughs> but then after that, it was a split second. Then he had to react upon the break in the window. So he had to run around the front of the bus like he meant to do it. But there's no way, man. There's no way. I can't imagine him expecting to, for that window to shatter like that when he threw it. I just thought he thought it was just going to bounce off. And, you know, everybody was like, oh, Connor got crazy. But that's what I think. I think that he just – everybody's looking at him. There's a lot of pressure on him to do something because he's the guy everybody's turned to. And instead of just backing off and saying, man, you know what? We'll get you later, man. There was too much, too much pressure on him to do something uh, because he flew down there with all those guys. There was a lot of talk. There was a lot of leading up to that. And then when he was in that situation where he couldn't actually touch him, where it would have just been an altercation and we've been moving on to the news, he, he had to do something. And I think the choice that he made was a wrong one. It was a mistake. He made a huge mistake. Where I was driving towards was the audacity of the A-listers. The A-list audacity. I need to go get the .com on that. That's a good name. <laughs> A-list audacity. <laughs> so <laughs> my think about it. Um, politicians deal with this. The Kennedys. There's a show coming out talking about the gal who died. Mike Tyson, you know, had a rape charge against him. Uh, we can go on and on with the athletes and politicians, but. It's interesting how they can, they feel like they can do whatever they want whenever they want. I guess that's what I was driving towards because not very many other MMA fighters, I'm telling you, would have the audacity to jump into a place and start throwing heavy metal objects at a bus full of fighters. I just don't see it happening unless that's, you're, unless you're crazy. That, that, that's not true. That's not true. You'd have to be it, psycho. Not, I'm, you would have to have that's, that's a- That's not loose, true. You'd have to have true. a loose That's nut to go attack a bus nope. like that in a professional level. No, nope. <laughs> no, nope. it's not true. All right. I think what happens is, is that you get put to a level in which you believe you can't be touched. And, any, and it can happen to anybody, mm -hmm. anybody that makes $30 million overnight and you got a crew of people around you thinking that you could do anything you want to and that you're our protector. Mm -hmm. It could cause you to go into a situation and escalate to a point to where you're stuck in the middle of doing something and not doing something, and you choose to do something, and it's, it's not the right decision. Mm -hmm. And that's where I believe this happened. I believe that Conor McGregor is definitely a volatile person, but it's more physical, one-on-one, -on -one, macho-type thing than what he did that night or that day, whatever time it was. I do not believe all over to do again, and he would think about it, that he would do that. I believe that he would come to a different decision. But because of the way it escalated and how everything went down, 
he was stuck into a decision of whether or not he should back up and, and, and lose face, which this, I'm not saying he would, but this is what he's thinking. Lose face amongst all those people that are watching what he's doing since they just flew all the way from Ireland to confront this guy. And here he was standing there with a dolly in his hand to either drop it and walk away or throw it at the bus. And he chose to throw it at the bus, and he had a reaction in which he did not think was going to happen. I think that the decision-making process that happened while we, he was in Ireland, what is most fascinating to me, because while they were there, like, we've got to go confront this guy. Let's jump in a jet and let's go get him. <laughs> so that's that audacity. Yeah. That's that. That's that individual that thinks that they can do whatever they want, whenever they want. And that's a very, yeah, that would be a dangerous place to be for most people, I think. Yeah, it's, it's hard. Like I said, we see it all the time when even as celebrities, when you're seeing these sex tapes and you're, and you're seeing these people who go out and just tend to do so many dumb things because they're rich. Mm -hmm. uh, this is another one of those things that was a dumb decision because he got rich overnight you see athletes in football constantly get huge contracts and they go out there and they get in fights in bars or they they do dog fighting and they just do things that are just absolutely stupid because they feel like they get to a point to where no matter what happens they're going to be all right because they're rich mm -hmm. and this is the thing that i think that is the evil in money is that it allows people to think that they're untouchable until they get to that point where they realize they're not but then it's too late Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how about you? When you were in the top of your game, I mean, you experienced that yourself, didn't you? Absolutely. You know, Conor McGregor, when I, when I watched him and I've, I've always supported him in what he's done, because I've always liked the idea of that guy that lives past that line, mm -hmm. goes just a bit past that line, because no one else has taken that chance to do that. And that he was able to manage that and be able to become very popular doing it. That's what I had did in my career was that I had always kind of tried to push that line a little bit farther because it was always trying to keep, I love my fans to be excited. I wanted my fans to be, you know, caught up into what we were doing. And, and, but I, I always tried to make sure that, that what I did wasn't something I couldn't come back from. And so there was a lot of that strategic, even though a lot of people probably don't understand this, but there's a lot of strategic planning that goes into conferences, these different types of uh, interviews and, and, uh, and confrontations uh, when I get in front of other people. There's, a, there's enough of it to where I understand there's people around. I understand how far I can go. And maybe I go a little bit farther where I'll shove somebody or, or even I grab and throw them to the ground. Just, just knowing where I'm at and what the situation can call for. I believe Conor McGregor had been able to do that very strategically and very, very good for a long time. And I think this is one of those times where he lost control of being able to control where the line was. Okay. I want, before we get into story time with Ken, I want to ask you this question. I'm switching gears altogether. We're going to end with this. You do a lot of appearances. You're all over the place, Ken. You're getting ready to do a big tour in Canada. And we'll let everybody know about that on social media as it comes. But you're just everywhere. And you have a lot of fans coming to you. When you are doing these appearances, I'm, I'm going to ask you this question and it's two sides to it. What are the best hosts? What do they do for you to make you feel the most comfortable when you're at the events? And two, 
what are the best type of fans to have when they come to you? Is it okay to ask for a photo? Is it not okay to ask for a photo? Is it, you know, give us some good feedback on how to interact with celebrities. Well, I think one, when especially understanding that the celebrities have already been there for an hour, maybe two, maybe three, maybe four. And just always having an understanding that, that they've been doing it for a while and that when you come to them, and you want an autograph or you, you know, you want a picture is always make sure that you're being respectful because this is what I find happens a lot. So especially with some guys that don't like doing autographs that they have to do it just because, you know, their, their job calls for it or it's a responsibility, whatever the case may be that sometimes when celebrities come up, they get excited and they start, you know, grabbing you. They start wanting to pull you towards them for a picture or they want you to grab them and do this to them. And so you understand that when you come up to them, it's just about being respectful, shake hands and say, Hey, great to meet you. And, but don't be so overexcited that you almost come off rude because mm. you catch somebody who's been doing it for a while and they're tired. Maybe they're on edge a little bit. You're going to get the worst side of them. That's good feedback. A lot of people, if they see you at a restaurant and they've come up to me, I, I had someone says, yeah, I saw you guys at a restaurant. And this would be, this would be like if we're at an event somewhere together, Ken, and I'm down yeah. getting coffee and I run into somebody. It's like, I saw that you're with Ken Shamrock. Are you his agent, manager? And I always correct them. And I say, no, I'm his business partner. There's a difference. I'm not an agent. I'm not a business. <laughs> they say, yeah, I wanted to get a picture. I just, I didn't want to do that to him. And I always tell him, oh, of course, ask. No problems. Um, he would have no problem with um, you ask, taking a picture. But, but most people think, Ken, I'm telling you, from my own experience, most people think that they cannot, when you're not at an event, if they just run into you at the airport or at restaurants or whatever, that they don't have the right to ask you for a photograph. Can you speak to that? Yeah, I, and it's different with uh, most people. Uh, for me, I'm okay with it. I think respectfully, I think it's probably not fair for, and for me, I'm okay with it. But I just think if you look at it from a standpoint of privacy and giving some celebrities a, t a time with their family or even with their friends, it's like whenever you see somebody that's out having dinner, and you see them there in a small group with their wife or their children or a small group with the people in business suits or whatever, and they're sitting and having a small meal. It's probably not a wise idea to go up and ask for an autograph mm -hmm. only because I think that there's so much time that they spend going out and doing this, that there's not a whole lot of time they get to be able to go out and spend with their families or their friends or their relatives. So when you see something like that, it's probably not the best timing to go and actually ask because usually they're probably in a conversation. And so it's not a good time to do that. But for me, I've never been a person that would never make time because my family understands that that is a part of my family. That is a part of our success and why we are where we're at. So I've always made time and my family actually becomes a part of that. When they come over, they shake hands and they get to talk with them and it becomes more of a of a, of a friendly thing of like, Hey, this is my, my wife's my family. So it's more of a, a thing for me and my family is it's okay because they know that's who I am. But I really believe there's a lot of them out there that need that time and that, that don't want you to come up during those moments. So if you see something like that, I would say 90% of the time, you probably don't want to do it. 
Yeah, maybe maybe wait outside the front doors might be a better <laughs> idea, right? <laughs> yeah, because at least you know whatever they're doing and they're up and they're leaving is probably a, a better time to do it. But yeah, not walking up to the table as they're sitting down and they're in their moments. And, yeah, uh, yeah, it's just it, for me, it's just one of those moments where I think you're better off not doing it. Yeah, good. And how about people that hire us or hire you to for an event? What type of advice would you give a group who would say, "Yeah, I'd like to have Ken come in"? That would make for a better experience for you. Oh well, I personally, when you're bringing in a talent, no matter who it is or what event it is or what kind of talents they have, when you bring somebody in, you need to make sure that you make an impression as they walk right from their hotel room. When you bring pick them up from the airport, make sure you're there to pick them up. Make sure that they don't have to look around for anybody, that they don't have to scramble and find anything, that they're there, pick up their bags, walk them to the car, get in the car, take them to the hotel. And here's the important part that really makes somebody feel like they're wanted is when they walk into their hotel room and there's a card there for them and that there's some fruit and some little snacks there on a tray and it says, thank you. We really appreciate you taking the time to come visit us and tell us your story. And that right there goes a long ways in making somebody, when they're there sleeping and really feeling appreciated and waking up the next day to really want to go and do a good job. Mm, That's good advice. Very good. This is story time with Ken Shamrock. Do you have a story for us, Ken? I don't. Not today. (laughs) I knew I was going to catch off guard on that one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, not today. Today's not the day. Oh, very good. I just told my story. (laughs) That's good. That's good. All right, guys. This is the time to get out your pencils and paper and write this down. You can follow us on social media. You can find all the social media at our website, dangerouspodcast.com. Sharing is caring. Share this. And if you're a writer and you do a write-up on us, let us know. And we will share that write-up on our podcast out on social media. If you're looking to interview Ken Shamrock or me or both, you know how to do that. You just also go to dangerouspodcast.com or go to kenshamrock.com. Go to the contact page. All the information is there. Take care, guys. Catch you next time. Peace. God bless. You made it through the world's most dangerous podcast. Find them at dangerouspodcast.com, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Always remember, sharing is caring. Dangerouspodcast.com. World's most dangerous podcast can be found on social media. For business proposals to dangerouspodcast.com.